Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 14. Our text this morning is Acts 14, verses 24 through 28. Uh, in these verses, we see Paul and Barnabas return to Syrian Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. However, before we hear the preaching and reading of God's word, let's pray. O Lord God, who inhabits eternity, the heavens declare your glory, the earth your riches. The universe is your temple, your presence fills immensity, yet you have of your pleasure created life and communicated happiness to us. You have made us what we are and given us what we have. In you we live and move and have our being. We thank you for your riches to us in Jesus, for the unclouded revelation of him in your word, where we behold his person, character, grace, glory, humiliation, sufferings, death, and resurrection. Cause us to feel our need of his continual presence among us. Amen. Acts 14, verses 24 through 28. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together... They declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come on up. Yeah, welcome guys. Come on, make room. You can kind of slide around over here onto the side steps. There you go. Hey guys, welcome. Come on over. Plenty of room over here. Yeah. And more. All right, come on. All right guys, I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine an apple farmer walking through his orchard at the end of the summer. All season long, he's been working. He's planted new trees and he's pruned old ones. He's pulled weeds and he's added fertilizer around the trees to, to get good things into the soil. He has done his job really well. But does that guarantee a good harvest of apples? No, it doesn't. Not at all. There are lots of things that are totally out of his control. He can do everything that he knows to do, but he has no control over the sun. He has no control over the rain. He, he cannot stop a late freeze, cold weather, from killing the, the blossoms. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how hard he tries, he can't make 
the fruit grow. He can't just look at it and will that fruit to grow. Who's in charge of that part? God. That's right. Yeah, God is totally in charge of that. Growth is totally up to Him. But year after year, the apples grow as the farmer does his work. God shows His power and, and also the farmer has to do his work too, right? So it's both. Well, we actually see something like that in what we just read. Paul and Barnabas are telling the church about, this is what they say, all that God had done with them. Like farmers, Paul and Barnabas had done the hard work of, of preaching God's word about Jesus. But they also remember that God alone is the one who makes things grow. He, he makes their work fruitful. It, it was God working through them that caused the church to grow more and more. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas here are kind of like hardworking farmers who are celebrating God's goodness. Now, I want you to think back to that farmer walking through the field. At the end of the season, imagine what is most on his mind. It, do you think that he's mostly looking at how many weeds are under the trees? No, probably not. Uh, or do you think he's... Where he thinks the Maybe. But first, he has to get the apples, right? He's thinking mostly about the fruit itself. He's thinking about the fruit. Everything that he has done, from the weeding, to the pruning, to the fertilizing, it's all been about that fruit. That's what he wants, right? N none of that other work means much if he doesn't find fruit at the end of the season. An orchard with no weeds, but no apples either, that doesn't do anybody any good, right? Well, if you notice in the story that we read, uh, Paul and Barnabas were excited to find something on their journey. The, it says that faith, faith in Jesus, that was the fruit that they were eager to see. They, they weren't just looking for people to have fewer weeds in the garden of their lives, less sin in their lives. They weren't even looking for people to suddenly start doing good things or being extra nice to each other. Those are good things, to be sure. But what they were mainly looking for was for people to trust in Jesus more and more. Because if faith, is that fruit that's growing, then all the other good things like good works comes along with it. But if faith is not there, then no amount of good works is going to do any person any good. Guys, for you and me today, what all this means is we know that God is the only one who really grows his church. But we also know that like the farmer, he works through us. We have work to do. We're like the farmers. We share the good news of Jesus, and God is the one who brings people into his church. And as people come into the church, we, we're mainly looking for faith to grow. That's the fruit that we're hoping to find. People sinning less and doing more good works, that's great. But people can do those things without trusting in Jesus at all. But... When people trust in Jesus more and more, then you're always going to find beautiful things happening. And because our God 
gives growth and works faith in people. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks guys. You can go back to your seat. Uh, these verses that uh, recount the end of uh, Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey as they return to Syrian uh, Antioch, uh, having completed uh, the work that they had been commissioned to do. Now, I understand that this may not strike most of you as uh, the most fitting passage for a Christmas morning. However, I think I can make the case uh, that Paul's missionary work and, and really all preaching of the gospel is the natural and intended result of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Jesus took on human flesh for just this purpose, that, that repentance and faith might be preached in his name even to the ends of the earth. In fact, Jesus himself tells us this in Luke 24. Luke writes, Then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds, that is the minds of the disciples. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. In his important work on the mission of God, Christopher Wright says this, in writing these words, Luke does not present Jesus as quoting any specific verse from the Old Testament, but he claims that the mission of preaching repentance and forgiveness to the nations is what is written. He seems to be saying that the whole of the scripture finds its fulfillment both in the life, death, and resurrection of Israel's Messiah, the, the Christocentric reading of all of scripture that we are so familiar with. But, but it finds its fulfillment not only in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, but also in the mission to the nations which flows out from that event. In other words, Christmas is, is not only about Christ's incarnation, it is about the proclamation of the salvation that will come to all nations and all people through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is himself saying that Paul's mission to the Gentiles, completed on this first missionary journey, was his intended result when he came into the world, when he took on human flesh. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, and to commission his church to proclaim the good news of that redeeming work to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, yes, but going on to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, as Luke puts it in Acts chapter 1. And so from this perspective, I didn't feel a need to, to change my text this morning. We're just going to continue plowing right through Acts because this is what Christmas is about. This is the natural and intended outcome of Jesus coming into the world. The, the work that Paul had here completed is exactly what Jesus intended when he humbled himself and took on human form. Jesus was born, yes, to give his life as a ransom for many, but also that that message might be preached to the nations. And so with this in mind, I, I want us to notice three things here about Paul's ministry that I think are, are important for our ministry here at Trinity as a, as a congregation of Christ's church. 
First, I want us to see the, the dual power of gospel ministry. Second, I want us to see the fruit of gospel ministry. And then third, just briefly, I want us to see the soil of gospel ministry. So let's begin with, with the power, and, and particularly what I say is the, the dual power of gospel ministry. I want us to see that both God and God's servants are at work in the ministry of the gospel. I think we're all familiar with, with Paul's uh, statement in his first letter to the Corinthians, that, that statement that, that Sam was alluding to with the, the children. You remember that when Paul was addressing the divisions that had risen up in the church in Corinth, he, he writes to them, What is Apollos and what is Paul? Merely servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who gave the growth. Now when we hear that statement, we, we rightly focus on the absolute necessity of God giving the growth. If God does not give growth, there will not be any growth. It does not matter what the farmer does. He cannot cause the apples to grow. But we also notice that, that God gives the growth through the work of his servants. Neither Paul and Apollos can, can produce the growth, but God uses their work to produce the growth that he and that they long to see. And this is what I mean by the dual power of gospel ministry. God gives the growth, but God uses people like Paul and Apollos and, and us to plant and water the seed of the gospel. And we see the same thing here in the text before us this morning. Look again uh, at the text. We, we see first that, that God's power is at work in, in at least two ways. We see that it is God who opened the door of faith. Notice that in, in verse 27. Luke writes, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It was God who had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so after retracing their journey all the way back to Antioch, remember we saw that last uh, Sunday, they, they had begun to retrace their steps. Instead of heading straight home, they, they revisited all of these places where they ha had been uh, preaching the gospel and where they had been persecuted. But they were willing to, to reface those dangers in order to revisit the churches and to strengthen the souls of, of the disciples. But, but eventually, finally, they, they come home. They come all the way back to Antioch. And when they arrive there, they, they gather the church together. And we're told that Paul and Barnabas tell the story of all that God had done on their journey. All uh, that, that he had done through them. And what he had done is open the door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God, uh, Paul sowed the seed, but God gave the growth. And, and it's, it's important for us to, to see that God's power is at work here in, in causing them the ministry of, of Paul and of Barnabas and of, and of the others to, to be fruitful, to, to bring forth a harvest of, of faith. But I also want you to see that, the, that God's power is at work in a second way here. Look again at verse 26. Notice how Paul describes the church in Antioch. He, he says that it was there that Paul and Barnabas had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And that way of putting it seems to, to suggest that, that God did more than simply bless their work and make it fruitful. Yes, he did that. God opened the door of faith. He, he gave the growth that, that Paul and, and Barnabas wanted to see. 
but it seems to suggest that not only that God blessed their work, but that Paul and Barnabas actually did their work in the power of God's grace. They had been commended to God's grace for that work. And Paul says something like this explicitly in his letter to the Colossians. At the end of Colossians chapter 1, he writes, Him we proclaim, that is, that is we proclaim Christ, warning everyone and, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Him. If you, you don't recognize it, that's actually the verse that is at the foundation of our philosophy of ministry, our mission statement here at, at Trinity. We exist to make mature disciples. That's exactly what Paul says. He has been proclaiming Christ, warning and, and teaching everyone that he might present everyone mature in Him. But then he adds, for this I toil, Struggling. So, so Paul toils, Paul struggles, but he toils and he struggles with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. It's not just that, that God blesses Paul's efforts and, and makes them fruitful. God actually makes Paul's efforts possible. It is God's grace that, that equips Paul to do the work of preaching the gospel. It is, it is God's grace that produces the love that compels him to, to walk back into the face of danger for the sake of, of, of building up the disciples. It is, it is God's grace that gives him the, the strength to endure the, the hardships of both persecution and just travel in the ancient world. It is God's grace that gives him the courage to, to proclaim the gospel boldly and, and clearly in the face of severe opposition. It is God's grace that gives him the wisdom to answer the objections that were constantly being raised against the gospel. And then, after equipping him for all this work, after, after enabling him to, to be a faithful minister of the gospel, finally it is God's grace that makes all of the work fruitful. It is God's grace that opens the door of faith to the Gentiles. But of course, this highlights what I am calling the dual power of gospel ministry. Obviously, they are, are not equal powers, but there are two powers at work. It is God who gives Paul the strength to serve. It, it is God who equips him and, and enables him to do the work of gospel ministry. And it is, it is God who, who makes that work fruitful. But we must not miss the point that, that Paul must still serve. He must toil, as he says. Think of that. It's, it's, it's toil. It is, it is struggle. It is work that Paul must do if he is to be a, a faithful minister of the gospel. Again, it's what we see there in, in verse 26. We're told that there they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now fulfilled. They had fulfilled the work. And as we see in verse 27, God had done the work with them and through them. So the planting and the, the watering of the seed of the gospel is done in God's power, and it is God's power that makes the, uh, the work fruitful. It is God's power that, that gives the growth. But God's servants must still do the work of planting and watering. We, we can't say that the servant's work is necessary in the same way that, that God's work is necessary. God could obviously choose to work apart from his servants. But God has chosen to work through his servants in his own mysterious wisdom. And therefore, because God has chosen to build his church through the work of his people, we can say that the, the work of God's servants is necessary. It is a necessary component to gospel ministry. 
And I think it's vital for us to see this. We're in a season where we are, are thinking about the next stage of our ministry. We're, we're thinking about what it is that, that God would have us to do. And as we, as we think about our work as a congregation of Christ's church, we need to understand uh, that, that we find ourselves in exactly the same place as Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. We exist to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ through the spirit-empowered ministry of God's word and prayer here in Cleveland and, and to the ends of the earth as he gives us opportunity. And so we need to see that we are absolutely dependent upon God's empowering grace. Whatever, whatever way he marks out before us, whatever it is that we decide to do, that we decide to devote our resources to, whatever it is, we will be absolutely dependent upon the grace of God to accomplish the work that he sets before us. We will be absolutely dependent upon God for him to, to cause our love to abound for, for one another and for our community. We will be absolutely dependent upon God to, to give us the strength to, to actually do this work. It is tiring to love people. You, you, you know that firsthand. It, it's tiring to love your family. It's tiring to, to love your, your neighbors. It's tiring to, to love your community. We are, we are finite beings with limited resources. And, and the nature of love is that we take those resources and we use them. We devote them to the good of others, especially to, to sharing with them the good news of the gospel. And we need God to give us the strength to do that. And we need God to give us the courage to do that in the face of, of the opposition that we will inevitably face. And we need, we need him to give us the wisdom to, to do it in a way that uh, will, will, be, will be heard and will be fruitful in our community. This means that everything we do, whatever it is, whatever path God sets us on in the, in the coming year, we need our work to be undergirded with prayer. We need to be a praying church, a church that, that prays fervently for God to give us the love and the wisdom and the courage and the, and the strength that we will need to be faithful ministers of his gospel. But we need to not only pray that God would strengthen us for the work that he's going to give us to do, we have to understand that we need to ask him also to bless that work and to make it fruitful. We must, we must pray not only to, for ourselves, but for those to whom we are ministering. We must be asking God to open the door of faith to them, for God to give the growth that our hearts long to see. And so we must not only pray for wisdom and strength to serve well, but we must pray for God to make our ministry fruitful. Again, what, whatever path he sets us on, he will set us on that path for the purpose of making mature disciples. Whatever path he sets us on, our fundamental mission will not change. Christ came into the world that repentance and faith might be preached in his name to the ends of the earth. And whatever path he sets us on, it will be a path of making mature disciples. And we must undertake that path only undergirded by prayer. Prayer for, for equipping, but also prayer for blessing that he would make whatever ministry he gives us to do a fruitful ministry here in Cleveland and even to the ends of the earth. We must never fall into the trap of thinking that we are, are sufficient to the task that we have been given. We must never forget that we are entirely dependent upon God both to do the work and to see the harvest of that work here in our community. But... Having said that, having, having acknowledged our absolute dependence, we must also see that we must do the work. 
We must do the work. We must preach and, and teach the gospel concerning the Son. We, we must preach and teach it to one another first. Notice, at the end of this text, Paul spends no little time with the disciples. And what is he doing? Well, if we know anything about Paul at this point in Acts, we know that he is preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to those who already believe. He's, he's ministering to them. And we must minister to one another. And we must minister to our community. We must proclaim Christ as the reason for our hope to our neighbors and to our, our co-workers and to all those who God weaves into the fabric of our lives. This is the work that God has given us to do, and we must do the work. We, we cannot merely pray for God to build people up in faith and to, to bring them to faith. Those are good things to pray, but we must pray for those things, even as we do the work, we must pray for God to do those things through us as we do the spirit-empowered ministry of the word that he has given us to do. Whatever form it takes in the coming years, that will be our fundamental mission, to proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we might present everyone mature in him. But of course, that brings me to my second point. Uh, namely, that the fruit that we long to see, the, the fruit that we long to, to have God bring forth in abundance is the fruit of faith. Again, we, we see this in verse 27. Look again there. Paul writes, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So, so the growth or the, the fruit that God had given through the work of Paul and, and Barnabas, through their work of, of planting and, and watering the, the seed of the gospel, the, the fruit that he brought forth was faith. People came to faith in Jesus Christ and people grew up in that faith as, as Paul and Barnabas retraced their steps, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And again, it's, it's important for us to see this because because it, it, it matters to our ministry today. As I said, we're doing the same work that Paul and Barnabas were doing on their first missionary journey. As a, as a congregation of Christ's church, our work is no different. And so we need to see this. We, we need to see that our, our focus, our objective, our, our primary goal as a church is to bring people to faith and to build people up in faith. Sometimes that, that goal or that objective can, can get pushed to the side in, in favor of other things. For example, we, we live in a, a lonely and, and isolated world, especially in the West. And sometimes the, the goal that the church seeks to fulfill in its community is simply the, the goal of, of giving people fellowship, of drawing people out of their loneliness. We, we live in a world where, where fellowship is necessary. The, the, the isolation that people experience in the world today is, is not compatible with human flourishing. It is, it is not God's design. Even from the very beginning, God said it is not good for man to be alone. He created us to live in community. He created us to, to live in relationships. And so true fellowship and true community is a much needed good in our world today. And, and let me just say, fellowship, the, the fellowship that we experience here at Trinity is, is one of the things that I love about this congregation. I love the way that we do life together. I love the way that we, we share our lives with, with one another. But we must remember that the fellowship of the church is fellowship in Christ. Our unity is, is in our shared union with him. We are bound together because we are bound to him by, by faith. And therefore, the, the fellowship or the community of the church must be seen as a byproduct of faith and not the, the main objective, not the main goal. 
Because it is faith to Christ, it's faith in Christ that unites us. If we aim at fellowship or, or community for its own sake, apart from Christ, it will be easy for us to, to create fellowship based on something other than Christ. A, a shared culture, a, a shared uh, political view, a shared uh, interest. These sort of commonalities often bring people together, and there's a place for such fellowship. But it is not the fellowship of the church. It is not the, the fellowship. It is not the, the union that is ours in Christ. And, and truly, they are poor substitutes for what God would have us to experience as his people, as his church being built together of living stones, united to the stone, the stone of Christ himself. And so again, we, we can't make fellowship, as good as fellowship is, it, it cannot become the goal. But rather, it must be a byproduct of the faith that God brings forth in the members of our community and in those who God brings to us. Another goal that sometimes captures the attention of the church is, is justice and, and mercy. Uh, by, by justice, I mean just simply the, the pursuit of righteousness in society. And, and mercy is that, 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 that proper concern to alleviate the suffering of the poor and the, and the marginalized. And, and make no mistake, these are good things. Jesus actually calls them the weightier matters of the law. These are things that should not be neglected. These are things that the church should be concerned about and, and working towards. But again, they cannot be the church's primary goal. Rather, we must first work to make disciples. We must first work to, to bring people to faith and to build them up in faith. Only then may we send out disciples into the world who, who truly know what justice and mercy look like. If we reverse the order, it is all too easy for our understandings of, of justice and mercy to be defined by the world rather than by our king. Just think of, of some of the things that, that we see done in the name of justice and mercy in the world today. It doesn't take long for you to see the, the confusion of the world. The world doesn't know what love is. The world doesn't know what justice looks like. And the, and the world's mercy is often cruel. And so again, we cannot make these things the, the primary goal. The goal of the church is to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and then as disciples to send them out that they might be agents of justice and mercy in the community. Justice and mercy matter, but the church's mission is to make disciples of the king. The church's mission is to build people up in faith. To, 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 to teach them how to re receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone, not just once, but every day. To make that decision to deny themselves and follow him because he is their Lord and their King. You can probably think of other goals that, that sometimes capture the, the church's attention, but, but whatever they are, whatever goal, alternative goals you're concerned about, the story will always be the same. They are good things but they cannot be first things. The first thing, as, as we look ahead in our, our ministry, the first thing, the thing that must always be our explicit mission as a church will always be to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and to build them up in that faith. That is why we exist as a congregation of Christ's church. We exist for the same reason that Paul went on this journey. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ through the Spirit-empowered ministry of God's Word and prayer. Such disciples will necessarily do many good works. 
Such disciples will love one another. They, they will live in fellowship with one another. They will work for justice in their community. And they will love to do mercy to the poor and the marginalized. But these are works of faith. These are the fruit of faith. And therefore, faith must always be the first fruit of gospel ministry that we long to see, that we long to see bring forth, brought forth in abundance. This then brings us to our, our final point, the soil of gospel ministry. We have said that the church must do the work of planting and, and watering the seed of the gospel and humble reliance upon God's empowering grace. And we have said that the, the goal of this work is to, is to bring forth a harvest of faith. Faith is the, uh, the growth or the, or the fruit that we long for God to give. But, but having said that, where is the church to sow this seed? Where is the church to, to sow the seed of the gospel? Well, again, I think we find our answer in Paul's recounting of all that God had done with them in their first missionary journey. Look again at verse 27. Luke writes, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I think it would be easy for us to, to misunderstand the, the significance of that phrase. We might think that, that Paul mentions only the Gentiles because, because God was done with the Jews. After all, it was the Jews who had chased Paul out of Pisidian Antioch and then again out of Iconium. And it was, it was the Jews who had eventually caught up with him in Lystra and had him stoned. And it was against these Jews, these opponents of the gospel, that Paul had shaken off the dust from his feet as a symbolic act of judgment. And so if we were reading too quickly, it would be easy for us to, to, to come to the conclusion that, that, that the door of faith had now been closed to the Jews and was open only to the Gentiles, that God was, was done with his covenant people. But that would be a, a gross error. It would be, be contrary to even what we read here in Acts. We know that, that God wasn't done with the Jews because Luke has told us again and again that, that Paul went to preach first in the synagogues, that the gospel was first for them. But not only did he go first to preach to the, to the Jews in the synagogues, but, but we're also told again and again and again throughout Paul's missionary journey that both Jews and Gentiles had come to faith in Jesus. There were some among the Jews who opposed Paul and, and opposed his ministry, but certainly not all. God was bringing people to faith from both the Jews and the Gentiles. And so it, in mentioning only the, the Gentiles... Paul is not suggesting that the door of faith is now closed to the Jews, but, but rather he, he, is, he is highlighting the fact that the, Jew, that the Gentiles are now included, that the door is opened also to them. And we've seen this again through, throughout Luke's account of, of the first missionary journey. The, the point is that the person does not have to become a Jew in order to receive salvation in Christ. And that will actually be our, our focus in the, in the coming weeks as we move into to chapter 15. We'll, we'll, we'll focus in on that question more particularly. But, but for now, I, I want you to simply notice that, that the gospel is for anyone and, and for everyone who believes. Anyone who will receive Jesus Christ as Lord, anyone who will rest upon Him as Savior, will not perish but will have eternal life. All who call upon his name, whether Jew or, or Gentile, whether slave or free, whether rich or poor, male or, or female, the distinctions do not matter. 
Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved because Jesus is all that is necessary for salvation. He is the Savior of God's elect. And if you are in him, then you will be saved. This means that the soil of gospel ministry is quite simply the world. The soil of gospel ministry is is the nations without reservation or exception. As Paul says it in Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All that is required to receive redemption is faith in the Redeemer. All that is required is that we receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. For all who believe in him will be saved. If you put your trust in him, you will be forgiven. If you put your trust in him, you will be cleansed. If you put your trust in him, you will be justified and reconciled to the Father. This is the salvation that is on offer. And this is the salvation that is received by faith alone. As I said, I don't don't want to spend too long on this point because we're going to be coming back to it the next few Sundays in in chapter 15. But but just briefly think about what this means for us here at Trinity. It means that that we must proclaim a salvation in Christ alone. (laughs) That, That Jesus is all that is necessary. And that means that we must proclaim this gospel to any and all who God brings into our orbit. Any and all that that God gives us contact with, any and all that that God allows us an audience with, any and all who, who, who come to hear more of the reason for the hope that we have, we must be ready to proclaim the gospel. We must never give the impression that something other than Jesus is required to, to, to receive salvation or to become a member of this church. We must be ready to receive any and all that God brings to our door. Because Jesus is all that is necessary. And if they believe in him, then they can be a member of this church. Because this is not our church. This is his church. We are a congregation of Christ's church. And all that belong to him belong properly to us. And so this is what we have seen. We have seen that the the power of gospel ministry is is the the combined effort of, of God and his servants. Obviously, his servants are not necessary in the same way that God is necessary. It is is God who must give the growth, but at the same time, we must do the work of gospel ministry and humble reliance upon his empowering grace. We must plant and and water the, the seed of the gospel, for God has determined to give the growth that only he can give through the work of his servants. But second, we've seen that the the fruit of the gospel that we must be seeking to to bring forth, that we must be seeking to to cultivate, the the, the goal of our ministry here at Trinity must be to make true disciples. Disciples who will do many varied goods, but but disciples who are first believers. Disciples who are are first uh, uh, the, the faithful servants of the King. Christ's church is to make disciples through the spirit-empowered ministry of God's word and prayer. And everything else flows from there. And third, just briefly, we've seen that the soil of this gospel ministry, the the soil in which we are to to sow the seeds of, of the good news concerning Jesus Christ is our community, without exception, without reservation, even beyond our community, 
to the ends of the earth. For the gospel is for the nations. The gospel is for anyone and everyone who will believe. And when we, we see this, when we, we see the, this picture of, of Paul's first missionary journey, we, we see a snapshot of the ministry that has been entrusted to us as a congregation of Christ's church. And we see the ministry that is ours because Jesus was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. This isn't what we normally think about on Christmas morning. I get that. This is probably not the Christmas sermon you were expecting to hear. But that's okay. Because Jesus coming into the world, Jesus being born as a baby, was on purpose. (laughs) He came not just to, 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 to demonstrate his love for us. He came to demonstrate his love by laying down his life. He came to give his life as the ransom for us. That we who were under curse, we who were exiled, we who were condemned, might be forgiven might be justified, might be brought near. That that we who were enemies might be called the children of his love. That is what Christmas is all about. But it doesn't stop with, with our faith. Because our faith brings us into God's mission. God's mission of proclaiming the good news of this salvation even to the ends of the earth. And that's why we exist as a church That's why we exist as a a congregation of of Christ's church, to be ambassadors of that gospel in the community where God has placed us. So in the coming year, as as we think about our ministry, as we think about what directions it might go, let us always remember this. That whatever, whatever particular uh, uh, objectives God sets before us, whatever particular paths he, he marks out for us, we will always be a church that proclaims Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all spiritual wisdom and power that we might present everyone mature in him, trusting that God will indeed give the growth if we are faithful to plant and to to water the seeds, the treasure that he has entrusted to us. And because he has given us this work to do, and because he has promised to equip us for it, and more than that, because he has promised to make this work fruitful, That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that that you have not only called us out of darkness into light, Father, but that you have commissioned us into your service. That you have made us ambassadors of your Son and ambassadors of the salvation that he has accomplished on our behalf, Father. May we be a people who proclaim this gospel faithfully and clearly in this community. May we be a people who make disciples of your Son through the Spirit-empowered ministry of his word and prayer. Father, do this, we pray, in the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.